Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you are joining me today for another great interview. And this is one more that we're pulling out of the vault from the Talent Development Virtual Summit. And this one is with my good friend, Tim Hagen, the founder and CEO of Progress Coaching, and is all about coaching to emotional intelligence in the virtual world. Now, Tim is someone that I connected with uh, over LinkedIn a couple of years ago, and he's since become a great friend. Uh, his company uh, sponsored the Talent Development Virtual Summit we ran back in September, uh, and he's also one of the founding members of the Talent Development Think Tank membership community that I run and some of you are members of. And if you are, you know Tim because he's on almost every call contributing great value, uh, and he's led one of our uh, calls as an expert guest speaker talking all about coaching, uh, which is always a hot topic in the corporate world. Uh, and in this interview, you know, we talk about things like why is coaching so important, uh, the biggest mistakes that managers and organizations make, uh, the importance of feedback, coaching being uh, how to get someone to look in the mirror and take action uh, in, on that reflection. Uh, we talk about what is emotional intelligence, how to improve self-awareness, the number one thing that upper-level managers can do to get uh, some group coaching going, and many, many more things. So if you are interested at all, in the subject of getting coaching going within your organization or even for yourself, uh, then I recommend you check this out. And just a reminder, this is uh, an interview that we recorded for the Talent Development Virtual Summit back in September. Uh, it's still just as relevant today as it, as it was then. Uh, and uh, so you may hear me refer to the virtual summit and some of the stuff going on with that. Um, I pulled a lot of stuff out of the vault for the last few weeks because uh, the quality of the content is so good. And uh, I've been very behind on getting new interviews scheduled uh, because of all the health challenges that I've been going through. Uh, but I'm happy to say that right now I'm feeling very good and I'm scheduling a lot of new interviews coming up. And I'm excited to bring some of those interviews to you. There's going to be some really great content uh, coming up here. And we also have a lot of exclusive content uh, that is available inside the Talent Development Think Tank community that I run, uh, of which Tim Hagen is a member uh, and uh, a speaker. We have a lot of great speakers coming up. And uh, right now, during the month of March, 
If you're listening in March, we are doing a $1 trial offer that we haven't done before. It's $1 for the first 30 days. And then uh, if you decide to stay, then you pay the regular membership fee after that. Uh, We've got, at this point, uh, over 80 uh, wonderful members from around the talent development community who are absolutely loving it, joining our calls, contributing, uh, asking questions, getting their questions answered, helping them do their jobs better. We rarely have anybody leave because people love it so much. I'm a big, big fan and proponent of community. I think that as humans, we are social creatures and we are not meant to do things on our own. And therefore, uh, you've got to be part of something like this. If it's not the the think tank, then uh, go join another community or find a peer group that you can belong to where you can check in with people to get uh, answers to your questions and suggestions so you're not working in a silo trying to do things on your own. Uh, we are all about community there in the talent development think tank. So if that's something you're interested in, if you work in talent development and you want to find out what other people are working on, come join us. Our website is tdtt.us. That's tdtt.us, as in Talent Development Think Tank. Uh, You can join right on the website there. All the information is there. And if you have any questions, uh, you can book a 15-minute call with me, or you can always reach out. My email is andy at andystorch.com. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. I do appreciate you. And now on to my interview with Tim Hagen uh, on coaching to emotional intelligence in the virtual world. We hear all the time about the importance of coaching and emotional intelligence During stressful times, people need to draw upon their emotional intelligence to maintain resilience. But how do you coach to emotional intelligence and how do you get your leaders to do it regularly in a virtual world? Well, get your notepad ready because that is exactly what we're talking about today in this session. Hi, I'm Andy Storch, your Summit host, and I'm excited to introduce you to today's legendary Summit speaker. Tim Hagen is the president and chief coaching officer of Progress Coaching, and a well-known workplace coaching expert. Tim is a member of the Forbes Coaching Council and the host of the Coaching Conversations podcast. Tim is also a regular speaker at conferences and on webinars around the world, and I'm excited to bring his expertise to you today. Thank you, Tim, for being here. How are you, Andy? I am fantastic. I'm always happy to talk to you. We talk all the time. We always have great conversations. Um, You are a wealth of knowledge and wisdom and sometimes humor in this coaching space. (laughs) And uh, I'm excited to bring that to the people um, in talent development on this summit. And I wanna start with talking about coaching. You've been in this space for a long time. So Mm -hmm. why is coaching so important in the workplace? Well, I think it's, it's something that when you think about why people leave organizations, it's usually not the organization, it's usually a relationship with their boss. And often we think of coaching as this time intensive endeavor So a lot of times we hear from managers and leaders that they don't have time to do it. And so silence is very loud. Coaching is really about an investment. It's a conversation. It's a form of communication. And I always share with people, most people won't invest in in themselves until somebody else invests in them. And there's nothing better. Um, Training's never really been the problem. It's always been that passing it off to the leader who's working with his or her employees. And coaching is really about asking questions, building clarity, building awareness, in people's strengths where they have opportunities to improve. And it's really the opportunity before the crisis, but certainly during the crisis. Yeah, absolutely. And people are hungry for that. And I like that most people won't invest in themselves unless someone invests in them or until someone Mm -hmm. invests in them. What are the biggest mistakes that managers and organizations often make when it comes to coaching? Sure. Uh, They think feedback is coaching. Uh, You'll often hear Somebody say, well, my door is always open. I give my people feedback. Feedback is not coaching. Feedback is feedback. 
coaching is about asking questions. And as we're going to get into emotional intelligence, we define coaching in two steps. One, it's getting someone to look in the mirror. Very few people do that on their own. Number two, it's about taking action on number one. And so part of number one is also getting people to know their strengths. And so the biggest mistake is people see things that they want to fix, what they want to correct. They call people into the office. The employee's first impression is, uh-oh, what did I do wrong? Well, why do they feel that way? Because we've made them feel that way. Yeah. And so when you look at organizations like Gallup, who reports people engage eight times more when we lead with people's strengths than constructive feedback. Yet, why is it always employee's first impression? Uh-oh, the boss wants to see me. And that's really what becomes our culture. Yeah, and isn't there, when it comes to the feedback, um, some sort of recommended ratio on that kind of positive to negative, and yet most managers are only giving people feedback when they see something that's, that's going wrong, right? Absolutely. We subscribe to a three-to-one ratio, three uh, areas of strength. So if I were to give you feedback, I'd say, Andy, here are the three areas that I love about working with you. And I think about combining more time management or better time management, hearing that what goes through your mind. Now, if a manager were to say that same thing, assuming they'd even lead with strengths, often they use the word but. But is the great verbal eraser. And that's why coaching skills are so valuable. Yeah, that's so important. Right? You want to hear, you want to make sure people know the things they're doing well so you can reinforce that. Uh, and you want to make sure people get feedback. But you talked about coaching, you know, being looking in that mirror, uh, helping people look in the mirror and see what's working, what's not, and, and helping them fix those things or, or get better. Um, so all of this was already really important. How have things changed under COVID um, and how has coaching really changed in the virtual world? Well, there's some good things and there's certainly some challenging things. I'll start with the challenging things first. We don't see each other. We don't have eye contact. And now that we're in this new world, we actually have a client in New York where just looking into the camera is really uncomfortable for people. I have one client in particular who hates that people can see into her home. Now, the other thing is I think it's done something really unique. It's humanized people. I actually have a client where a manager and employee have not worked well together. They don't like each other. For seven years, they worked together. They both found out they love golden retrievers. They both have golden retrievers. They never knew it. They never had a conversation. They never shared anything. So I think the COVID crisis is doing some really good things in terms of things coming out of it that are positive. We're forced to have conversations. We're concerned more about people than ever. And I heard a chief learning officer make one of the greatest comments. She said, I've never been called into the C-level suite. I've worked here for 25 years, huge pharmaceutical company. And she said, I've never, ever been asked for my opinion, not in a negative way. She said, but now we're more concerned about people than ever. So coaching's really getting pushed to the forefront. Now, sadly, it shouldn't take a pandemic crisis. Yet it is forcing people to converse and conversing like you and I right now is uncomfortable. It takes practice. Mm. Sitting down with someone face-to-face, eye-to-eye takes practice. So one of the unique things that's come out of it is I am your employee. I'm no longer in your office, which is your place of power. Being virtual is somewhat neutralized and leveled off the playing field between the parties. And it's actually leading to better conversations. Interesting. I would also think there's a trade-off uh, in there as well between um, being more available, right? Because you don't have to, it's not as, it's not as hard to sync up schedules to try to meet in person when people are traveling around. Um, so people are more available, uh, but you also have to be more intentional because you can't catch somebody in the hallway and say, how's it going? Give some feedback, quick feedback and coaching. You got to be more intentional at setting that up. Are you finding that as well? 
Yeah, well, you actually asked about, you know, some of the things coming out of it. One of the things that we hear from leaders all the time is, I no longer have somebody knock at my door and say, Andy, do you have a second? I always laugh at that because it's usually about 17 to 22 minutes. Yeah. Yet it's one of eight people who did it that day. So then the association with coaching becomes negative. Someone knocks on the door. I've got three more coaching sessions. I've got two meetings to go to. I've got a report due by six o'clock. And what people are finding is we can trust people at home. They will do their jobs. So inherently, foundationally, it's actually building trust between the manager and the employee and the organization as a whole. I can't tell you, and I think the studies out there are talking between 60 and 70% of CEOs who said they would never have a workplace policy at home are now considering it. In our own backyard in Wisconsin, we have some huge insurance companies now finding out, wow, we're more productive than we've ever been. Mm -hmm. Why is that? I'm not driving to work. I'm not stressed about getting kids in the bus. I get my work done. I'm not being stopped in the hallway. People aren't stopping by my desk. And what we're doing is we're helping organizations reinvest that time into their culture, which is now a distributed culture. Some are in the office, some are virtual, and that's where things are really changing. Yeah, and it's so important to build that culture. What are the risks of not creating a coaching culture and not really paying attention to emotional intelligence, which we'll get into? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is people's minds wander. Silence is very loud. And I remember a manager once said to me, he said, well, my door is always open. And it was a guy I knew pretty well in one of our client sites. And I asked him, I said, doesn't it always make you wonder why somebody never walks through? And he looked at me stunned. Silence is really loud. And I think when we started our company about 24, 25 years ago, it was actually at a recreational boating company where we were delivering coaching services. I remember walking around the company and I see everybody's heads down. And I said to my client, I said, Tom, what is everybody doing? What's going on? He said, what do you mean? I said, it's, it's so quiet here. And he said, oh, PMPs are due at 11 o'clock. I said, what are PMPs? He said, performance management plans. They're, they're due at 11. Every manager was rushing to get it into HR by 11. You could just see people walking by offices doing it really in a very fast paced environment. And one of the areas that they measured was entrepreneurialism. And I said, well, how do we train on that? How, how are we cultivating that? Oh, we don't. So now if we don't spend time with our people, and now later we are going to evaluate you in that dreaded end of the year evaluation or performance, we're better off not having it, especially if we didn't spend time with them, because our trust is destroyed. Now, nobody talks about that, but employees will say, geez, Andy brought up XYZ. He never talked to me the other 364 days of the year, and it becomes a point of contention. That doesn't mean the intention is poor on the part of management, but it's their relationship with coaching. And that's where the pandemic crisis, I would say, has turned a lot of leaders positively to look at their people, wondering how they're feeling, how they're doing, because this has hit people, obviously, from a lot of different directions. Yeah, made people a lot more human and uh, mm -hmm. created a lot more of those conversations, a lot more connection, which has been really great. Um, so... You talked about the, that classic performance review of observe something and then wait three months to hit them with it in a report, which we know just doesn't work at all. And it's always demoralizing to people. Um, and it takes some emotional intelligence to know the right time to have those conversations. So I want to dive into that now. What are the five areas of emotional intelligence and how can leaders coach them? Sure. There's a lot of different views on what emotional intelligence is. The way we define it, it's first self-awareness, number two, self-regulation number three, motivation, number four, empathy, and then number five, social skills. I'll talk about the first two. Most people are really not self-aware. 
or they don't talk about it or they're not open to it. I mean, you're never going to have someone come into your office and say, Andy, I just wanted to stop by and let you know, I've really got a crappy attitude. And by the way, I'm not the best teammate in the world. I could really use some coaching. Now, deep down, I always contend they kind of know that. And those are the very people who will be in meetings who will be disruptive. They'll downplay other people's ideas. And so they'll lack self-regulation. How do we coach those people? And so one of the strategies is to build self-awareness is to start with the good things people do. Build up their trust. And that is fundamentally where managers get in a ton of trouble. Andy, you're doing this well, but the thing that really frustrates me, now I lead with my emotion. You just went into a mental state of, uh uh-oh, is my job on the line? Tim seems angry. You forgot all about the strengths that I mentioned. And that's where the language of coaching and the practicing of coaching becomes really important. I would also contend a lot of managers do not even know their own emotional intelligence. So when I got tested and I'm certified through MHS, um, my coach, Ed, said to me, where do you think your lowest score was? And I said, what do you mean? He said, where do you think it was in the five areas? And I said, empathy. He said, yeah, you're dead on. Now, I didn't have a bad score and there really isn't a bad score because with EI, it's about leveraging those skill sets. It's not a personality trait. So I've actually really concentrated on being more considerate, more empathetic. I've noticed a huge difference in the conversations and I've been teaching it 24, 25 years. Interesting. I haven't noticed that at all. Um, so I'm just joking. So no, that's <laughs> fantastic, right? It, it, and now we talk all the, all the time about this, you know, one of the most important parts of leadership of being a great leader is self-awareness. And yet it's so lacking in so many organizations. How can organizations help their leaders become more self-aware? Well, we talk about this. You have to have skilled coaching inside a company. You just have to. And what I mean by that is you have to be able to coach downward for a manager to employ sideways from peer to peer. And here's the dreaded one upward to upper level management. I cannot tell you of one client that has not asked me the question, how do I have conversations upward without getting in trouble without the political landmines? So often what happens in our company is we get asked to come in, build a coaching program, but we're always put in middle management. And I always ask the question, how's upper management going to be involved? Because if they're not involved, that's permission. That is permission for people not to coach. They won't say it, but that's literally what happens. So the way we get people coaching is to build a coaching culture, to practice the conversations, but to hold people accountable in a really positive way. The number one thing that upper level managers of managers can do is to get group coaching going, get a session going and ask one really fundamental question. Share with me something you've learned about an employee that's very unique related to work or maybe even personally. The only way they can know that is to ask questions and listen. Two of the most fundamental things that we struggle with as coaches, and I'll give you a parallel. What do we hate about salespeople? We do what too much? We talk too much. much, Leaders do the same thing. I'd rather just tell you to improve your attitude than dive into why, ask questions, practice different conversations with you, practice empathy. That seems really time consuming. Yet we have this false impression. Oh, by the way, I just told Andy he has a bad attitude. You come around the, the, the desk, you hug, you kiss me for the revelation and you're cured. It doesn't work like that. And so people have been practicing these things that they've been doing, whether negative or positive for a long period of time. That's why coaching has to be thoughtful. It has to be scheduled. It has to be question-based. And the big one is it has to be activity-based. So if you're struggling with your teammates, 
maybe you're misunderstood and you don't have a negative attitude, yet we need to practice those conversations that you have with your peers so you can be viewed more positively. I can't just tell you to do that. And that's probably the biggest mistake managers make. You said coaching needs to be thoughtful, scheduled, practiced, and activity-based, right? Yep. And what do you mean um, scheduled? So that mean you really can't do coaching on the fly or it has to be a more formal intervention? Or what do you mean by that? One of the biggest questions I get, and I cringe when companies say, well, we do it when the opportunity presents itself. We are triggered. Our eyes are triggered for the things we need to fix or that we see that are wrong. Very rarely, and I share this, we've actually done this at client sites, where we schedule alerts in the morning and afternoon, we tell leaders to go look for the good things. And I cannot tell you how many times managers will come back and say, wow, I didn't know half the good things our people were doing. So if we don't schedule it, we are going to be triggered by what we see is wrong. Now, if we schedule it and I'm conditioned and I'm well rehearsed and I'm practiced to focus on, Andy, here are the three things I've really noticed specifically you're doing well. And one area I would love to invest in is time management. Hearing that, how do you think we can work together to make that a strength? That language, and hopefully I did it well, but that language is not something that most leaders practice. Now, if I bring you in, or if I see you and you look disorganized, and I say, geez, Andy, I'm frustrated. Every time I walk by your desk, you look disorganized. That trust is destroyed. Yeah. And guess what happens? You now start talking to people in the cubicles or even virtually, and you start sharing, geez, Tim really went after me. And I always love to share this. Employees will put their own emotional interpretation on the messaging. Doesn't mean the manager's intent was bad. And that's where questions really level off the playing field and build more trust. Okay. So it needs to, to be really impactful. It needs to be more scheduled and a little more formalized so that it can be more practiced and thoughtful. Uh, what did you mean by it needs, also needs to be activity-based? Sure. I mean, if you're, we teach two things. When we're having a coaching conversation, uh, let's say we we're just talking about you and hypothetically time management. Mm -hmm. What if you don't have a system of time management? That's a knowledge component. So we might look at your schedule and say, well, let's identify the next two weeks, Andy, and let's really strategize scheduling breaks, scheduling conversations with teammates, and really blocking out time where you won't allow yourself to be interrupted. Now, what if through the conversation I find out you're really struggling with telling people no, or that you don't want to be interrupted because you don't want to offend your teammates. That is skill-based. So we would then practice having that conversation with your peers. A lot of the time, going back to your earlier question, managers will lob over the wall. You know, Andy, you got to, rhetorically, you got to improve your time management because you're wasting a lot of time. And then we go to the effect of what you're not doing well, yet we don't give you the map or the sequence to get there. The activities facilitate the positive change. The questions build awareness. And then what we look for is your willingness and then your progress associated with those things. Uh, yeah, so insightful because if you're just telling someone they need to change something and they don't know how to do it, you might as well be telling me I need to get taller, right? But I don't, right. I don't know how to do that. There's no way for me to do it. Well, we did a case study two years ago and it was a company, a manufacturing client that was really struggling with relationships with upper level management. And the CEO at the time really agreed with this. He said, what can we do? I said, would you agree if we did an experiment? Every manager, eight to 12 minutes a week, that's it. For 30 days, we will not ruin the company. He starts laughing. He said, well, of course not. No constructive feedback for 30 days. You only call people into the office for the positive things. You cannot use the word but. So we put signs around the company. 
And it was amazing. Our engagement scores went up 11 points. Customer service ratings went up 9%. We did no formal training, no education, no learning whatsoever. And so at Progress Coaching, one of the things that we teach is help people feel good about getting better. And I always love to share the story. It's actually in one of our courses. When my kid was in Little League, you know, he was not a good Little League baseball player. And I remember he kept striking out. And he had a coach who would kneel in front of him after every at-bat and said, you're getting it. He never gave constructive feedback. The other team had a kid get up, strike out like my son did, and the dad just throws a conniption fit. That kid got into that next box. You know what he was thinking? He wasn't thinking hitting the ball. He was thinking about, I don't want to be here. I don't want to disappoint dad. That is a learned behavior we bring into the workplace. Often, we don't want to disappoint our boss. So we actually react to our boss versus our boss driving our performance, finding out what we're motivated by, and really you know, developing that talent through coaching. Wow, so interesting. And um, I want to make sure that we get to everything we need to get to in emotional intelligence. We sure. did talk about the importance of self-awareness. Um, what were the other factors that um, go into that that we need to cover? Yeah, I think, you know, self-regulation is a big one. Um, when I think about listening skills and I think about our ability to regulate ourselves, not be interruptive, not be disruptive. You know, we had a client where two departments were having agitation with each other. And I remember the vice president said, would you come in and just sit in and observe? And I said, sure. And he looked down at my pad of paper and I had slash marks. He said, what are you writing? I said, I'm counting the number of times we show nonverbal discord. He said, excuse me? I said, watch, every time the other side of the table talks, people fold their arms, they roll their eyes, they turn away. We had 29 acts of nonverbal discord in the first 11 minutes of the meeting. There was no foundation to have the conversation. He said, well, what do we do? I said, in order to get your point across, you have to paraphrase or demonstrate active listening back to the last person who spoke. It'll slow down the cadence. It'll build greater clarity. And what he did the following meeting called me and said, it's amazing. They came to a resolution in like 20, 25 minutes. I said, what happened? He said, over 50% of the time, the person who spoke had to re-clarify because people took it out of context. That's where we have a lack of understanding and communication. So that is a self-regulation technique. Now, empathy is tough because it's nebulous. It's a little bit ambiguous to a certain extent, but just being socially conscious of being kind, asking questions. Uh, I was never a big fan before the crisis of asking people how they felt. It's one of my top questions now. How are you feeling? What's the impact on you? What are some good things that have come out of this? And I think about social skills, really being able to interact. That has been hit like a tidal wave because people are not used to like what you and I are doing right now or even talking on the phone to their teammates. And I think those are the things that really can get us, uh, get us in some tough situations. The last area, which I love talking about, is motivation. And when we're not scheduling time with our people and we don't know what motivates someone, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody, we tend to want things for other people that they don't want for themselves. And so we had a client, I started noticing some really different language in this service we do for them. And I called up the training manager. I said, Julie, I said, what's going on at the company? Now I'm not physically there, but I, could, I noticed through the language there was a difference. She said, what are you talking about? I said, it seems so operational. It doesn't seem people oriented, some of the feedback we're getting. And what we found out is that 45% of the people that were promoted 
into management positions at this bank wanted nothing to do with people management positions. They felt like they couldn't say no to their boss. The boss is motivating saying, Andy, you can get promoted if you do X, Y, Z. Person didn't want to be promoted. One out of two promotions over the course of two years at this company had to be completely reversed and resurrected because the people felt like I don't have a voice. My boss doesn't even know what I, I'm motivated by. Oh, by the way, the boss's intentions are very good because they were dictating and telling and rhetorically wanting. And we never understood what really motivated people. That's where EI comes into play. So important. So for people listening in talent development that are looking for ways to influence culture and to help their leaders, their managers become better managers, um, to do more coaching, right? Get better at this. What are some things they can be thinking about doing to put some of this stuff in place? Call people into the office for the good stuff. Just, just praise people. And, and I go back to helping people feel good about getting better. You know, often we get requests about coaching to corporate values and principles. One of the top things that everybody has is trust and integrity. The way you build trust is to show somebody you have their back, to invest in the good things. So you asked earlier about the COVID crisis. We have a client doing this right now, scheduling Zoom meetings and having their boss in the Zoom session. It's kind of fun because the employee freaks out. And then all of a sudden the boss starts praising them very specifically of something they're doing right during this crisis. Guess what happens? They're not sharing it with coworkers. They're now sharing it with family members because they work at home. The second thing is something that we call visibility chats. Having upper level managers just ask people questions. Andy, what are you seeing on the front lines? What are you seeing that I need to see more clearly? And here's the biggest challenge. Even when we hear something incorrectly, the manager's role and responsibility is to not respond in that first session, just to show that they're listening. Because the minute we say, well, no, 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 that's not true, Andy. I've now discounted you. I was better off never asking you th that question. We do it in everyday conversations. That's where the coaching conversation, the coaching language is much different than everyday conversations. Ooh, that is powerful and, uh, and difficult, right? To, to sit mm -hmm. back and listen. It takes a lot of practice, right? And do you finding uh, organizations are taking measures to actually practice, have their managers practice so they can get better at these things? Slowly. I think this has accelerated it. So again, I don't want to come off as the eternal optimist because the COVID crisis has been great because it hasn't been, yet it has really revealed some people. And I don't mean revealed negatively, but revealed that conversations can be really simple. Asking an open-ended question and just stating back, here's what I've heard, is a huge difference. Number two, using the word and instead of the word but. I'll share with you, coaching doesn't always have to be you know, in person with people. You know, we teach something called supplemental coaching where you don't have to be in front of your employees. We have a client who sells in the food and beverage industry. You can imagine how the crisis hit them. Their number one client are restaurants. So the vice president one day called me and I said, how you doing, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm driving around to all my employees' houses. So what are you doing? He said, well, I'm dropping off a card thanking them for their effort to every employee at the company. They are going to be break even, if not profitable this year. Every employee, when I coach them or I meet with them, talk about that VP. Said if it wasn't for him, I don't know how we'd be doing. It was that one day, all he did is drove around and dropped off cards. And I said, why did you do that? And he said, I need mind share. I need people to know this is going to be a tough mountain we're going to climb. I need everybody on board. I can't tell them. 
I, I've got to get them to feel that way. I've got to get them to feel what we need to go through our blood and our veins to get there. And they're actually, they're actually profitable the last two, three months. That's so cool. It's a great story. Um, for people listening in talent development that are you know, looking for ways to create engaging cultures in this virtual world, any final piece of advice before we wrap up? Yeah, don't. And I say this in defense of my training friends. Training's not the problem. Training's never been the problem. It's the application and practice. If we are not practicing, it's not going to happen. And I always go back to if you help people feel good about getting better. And so when we even facilitate our practice sessions, we don't ask for constructive feedback for the first four to five hours. I'll ask them, Andy, what did your partner Tom do really, really well? Tom, what do you feel like you did really well? You get people feeling good about getting better. They know deep down they need to get better. We just don't need to harp on it. And so I think where a lot of times training folks get sold down the river is we'll hear things like, well, we need more training. No, we don't. What we need is for you to apply what we trained you on. We need you to practice it. And I go back to salespeople. Salespeople don't like to role play and practice. Why? We'd rather go sell, meaning we're role playing and practicing with our clients. It's the same thing with coaching. The parallel is true. If we're not going to practice and I have to have a tough conversation about your performance and I let it go and I wait till the bottom of the ninth inning, your impression isn't, you know, Tim's right. Your impression is, geez, why didn't you talk to me for the first eight innings of the game? Where have you been? And we lose trust. And that employee does what? Starts telling everybody else. That's where coaching needs to be practiced. And I think even when we don't have great conversations, employees still appreciate the effort. Scheduling that time with my boss, I'm going to share this with you, eight to 12 minutes, not half an hour, not 45 minutes. And if you learn a conversation model, that's what you can embed inside a company. So training is one thing, but I think it's the practice and the reinforcement afterwards. Fantastic. We have covered so much ground in this interview. I'm looking at my notes. We talked about why coaching is important, um, the biggest mistakes that managers and organizations make when, when it comes to coaching, um, how feedback is not coaching, right? We talked mm -hmm. about coaching being, um, is getting someone to look in the mirror and take action uh, on the reflection. We talked about the five um, parts of emotional intelligence, the importance of emotional intelligence. We talked a lot about self-awareness and self-reflection. Um, the number one thing upper management uh, can do to get uh, people coaching is doing that group coaching and mm -hmm. asking those questions. Um, we talked about the importance of scheduling coaching sessions, why coaching needs to be more activity-based, the importance of self-regulation and listening skills, um, how to think about using empathy in the workplace, how organizations can improve culture and emotional intelligence by doing things like calling people into the office for the good stuff, yep. uh, having visibility chats. Uh, and you gave some great tips around asking open-ended questions, using and instead of but, uh, using supplemental coaching in between conversations, and the importance of practice. Mm -hmm. uh, so much great value here. Uh, Tim, for anybody who is watching, listening, who may want to get in touch with you to learn more about what you do and, and find out more, where, where should people go? Yeah, you can go to our website, progresscoachingleader.com, or you can send me an email and reference you know, this session at Tim at progresscoachingleader.com. There you go, uh, Tim at progressleadercoaching.com. Uh, Tim, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for bringing so much value to this session, to this summit, and to all of you tuning in who have been watching and listening. Thank you so much for being a part of this, for tuning in, uh, for being here with us to learn right alongside me. And uh, I want you to make sure that you take a couple notes. If you haven't been taking notes already, before you move on to the next thing, take a minute, 
write down what are those two key takeaways from this session? What action are you going to take as a result? Because it'll be a waste of your time and our time if you don't do something with this. Take this activity, take this learning and do something with it. Take action on it, reinforce that behavior, have a conversation with someone. Once again, my name is Andy Storch, your Summit host, and uh, I really appreciate you being here. Tim, thanks for being here. Yep. Take care. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again, and take care.